Okay, it's confession time. I'm preaching on the whole chapter. I meant to have Dean read the first nine verses, and I forgot to tell him that. (laughs) But I was thinking of instances in the scripture where the people listened to the reading of the entire law. That must have taken hours and hours, and they stood. So this was no biggie, right? Piece of cake. So let's go on to the, Dean, you want to stand up and read chapter 9 for us? Well. Okay, chapter 8. The heading in my Bible says, AI destroyed. Well, chapter 7, the previous chapter that I talked, spoke on last week, had a little different story to tell. It wasn't AI that was destroyed. It was a resounding defeat for God's people, Israel. They had failed. They had been defeated. And they're stinging from that right now. Um, The great inventor Charles Kettering suggested that we must learn to fail intelligently. He said, once you've failed, analyze the problem and find out why. Well, we see that taking place in chapter 7. God helped him analyze the problem. It was someone in the camp who had sinned. Because each failure, he says, is one more step leading to the cathedral of success. And we know, as, even as, as Dean read the, cha- the scripture today, that there was success for them. The only time you don't, you don't want to fail, he said, is the last time you try. That makes sense. And here are three suggestions for turning failure into, failure into success. Honestly face defeat. What happened here and why? Exploit the failure. Don't waste it. Learn all you can from it. Every bitter experience can teach us something. And I think that's exactly what was happening with the people of Israel. They were trying to learn whatever they could from this defeat that should not have happened. Never use failure as an excuse not to try again. You may not be able to reclaim the loss, undo the damage, or reverse the consequences, but you can make a new start. Wiser, more sensitive, renewed by the Holy Spirit, and more determined to do right. And I really think that's what was happening in Joshua's heart and and in the people of Israel. And you know, we've all failed and have been defeated at some point in our lives. Alright, it's, I mean, it's, Part of the human condition, I think. We just, we mess up and we're defeated. So how do we bounce back from defeat? Because that's the question Israel, Joshua and Israel had to ask themselves at this point. How do we bounce back from defeat? Especially when you know it's your own fault. Those are the hardest ones to take. I mean, if you can look at some other factor or someone else and blame them, that's one thing. But when you say to yourself, You know, the reason I failed, the reason I was defeated is because I just blew it. I messed up. And that's what we're dealing with here. So, what? and by the way, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this scripture in in a corporate sense. as applied to Israel or as applies to the church. Now, you can apply this on an individual basis. The same things I'm going to point out to you today would apply for individuals as well. But I'm going to... uh, Approach it from a corporate sense. We. All right? Because that's what's happening here. Um, 
What happened at Ai, the defeat, was a problem for all Israel. It was. It, was, it affected all of them. So what, what needed to happen to get them to bounce back from this defeat that they just suffered? suffered? The first thing is this. Realize that God has not forsaken us. Realize that God has not forsaken us. Look at God's first words to Joshua in verse 1. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, we can easily understand, I think, why the people of Israel or Joshua might have been fearful and discouraged. They have to go up against an army that's given, given them a licking once already. They were surprised by what they thought would be an easy opponent. And no one wants this thing that just happened to happen again. So God's first words to them are words of reassurance. And He's telling them the outcome is going to be different this time. Now, um, God here then, I think, is addressing the natural reaction that tends to encapsulate how we feel when we've been defeated. We're fearful, we're discouraged. Fear. We're afraid to try again. We're afraid to move forward. We're, we're afraid of failing again. We're wondering if God will be with us ever again. During World War II, a military governor met with General George Patton in Sicily. When he praised Patton highly for his courage and bra bravery, the general replied, Sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is, I am an utter craven coward. I have never been within the sound of gunshot or in sight of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. Years later... When Patton's autobiography was published, it contained this significant statement by the general. I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. I learned very early not to let my fear drive me, consume me. The Bible has something to say about that, like we have not been given a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind. And folks, listen. I think sometimes we, we, we kind of fall into this thought uh, uh, that, boy, if I'm ever afraid of anything, I, I wonder if that's not it. We're all going to... I mean, I think I told, might have told you this. When Julia and I went to San Antonio, uh, well, we, were, we were in the decision-making process. Do we stay in Longmont, Pastor, the church there or not? And... So we kind of use that time away to seek God. We went up on, I think it's called the Tower of the Americas there, and ate dinner. You know, and then you can open, you can go outside where there's just kind of this rail between you and infinity. <laughs> and Julie was fine out there, but I was thinking, I do not like this at all. I, at least I want the seat of an airplane or something between me. And so we're, we're all, I mean, you know, somebody sees a snake, oh, we're all going to experience fear of some kind. Here's the point. We don't live there. 
We don't live in fear. Fear does not control or consume our lives. That's what God's talking about. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. There's the kind of fear that protects us. You know, it's, that's why we don't walk out in the street when there's semi coming. Uh, because we have the fear of what will happen if the semi, semi and we meet at the same time. That's a smart fear. But we don't want to live there. God didn't want the people of Israel to live there after this defeat of Ai. Don't be controlled by that. Don't be afraid. The next thing he said is don't be discouraged. Discouragement, that which can cause us to doubt God, to doubt ourselves, and to question why should we keep going or try again? Oh, why bother? And we ask questions like, is this worth it? Why did we think we could do this in the first place? That's what discouragement does. And so that's why Joshua and us too need reminding of what we should know already and what God has told us before. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Deuteronomy 31.8 The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I've just chosen a couple of passages out of here that reinforce this thought and remind us that God has told us this more than once, in fact, many times. Why? Well, he, the Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. That's why. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Earlier in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. But we do need reminders, don't we? Maybe because we have short memories or wavering faith, or more often than not, because we have an enemy who wants us to believe that we have been forsaken by God. And there is reason to fear and reason to be discouraged. Does that ever happen? Sure it does. So, failure does not mean that God has abandoned us, that He's forsaken us. It does mean that He might have a better idea. So what's, what's the next step then to bouncing back from defeat? Well, we need to listen carefully for what God wants us to do next. Let's not try the same old thing again, okay? Isn't that the definition of insanity? Yep. Trying the same old thing time and time again and expecting a different result? Let's not do that. Let's listen carefully to what God wants us to do next. Then the Lord said to Joshua, and you, this is something we need to notice, it's missing in chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, the first time Israel attacked Ai, the voice of God, the instruction and direction of God are missing. That's where Joshua failed in the first attempt against Ai. There was nothing about a conversation with God to learn his strategy for conquering that city. And whether it was a, mass, uh, a matter of, of presuming upon God or overconfidence as a result of their victory at Jericho, 
there was apparently a failure to seek God's guidance in the next step of their campaign, and we know what happened. And that, that's always a dangerous thing to do, just to fail to go before God and seek his guidance and direction any time we're doing God's work, especially in enemy territory, which is exactly where the Israelites were and where, in a spiritual sense, we very often find ourselves in enemy territory. Who's the prince of the power of the air in this world? We're in enemy territory, folks. But as we begin this chapter, chapter 8, once again we hear the voice of God, the master strategist, the one who knows the way and on whom victory depends. God is in charge again. So what does God say? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I've got a plan. AI is yours. And we could throw in, if you follow the plan. (laughs) Henry Blackaby tells uh, of, of the years when he was pastoring in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. He pastored there for for 12 years. And he said, one day a farmer said to me, Henry, come out and visit me at my farm. This is kind of like finding the Swensons or something. His directions went something like this. Go a quarter mile past the edge of the city and you'll see a big red barn on your left. Go to the next road and turn to your left. Take that road three quarters of a mile. You'll see a tree. Take the, uh, go right for about four miles and you'll see a big rock. And he said, I wrote this all down and one day I got there. (laughs) Then he goes on to say, the next time I went to the farmer's house, the farmer was with me. Since there was more than one way to get to his house, he could have taken me any way he wanted to. This time I didn't need the instructions I had written down. You see, he was my map. What did I have to do? I simply had to listen to him. Every time he said, turn, I did just what he said. He took me away I had never been. Well, this isn't right. I probably couldn't retrace that route on my own. The farmer was my map. He knew the way. God is going to be the Israelites' map for the next assault on Ai. And I think we can safely say that Joshua and Israel were pretty humbled at this point. But God is now giving Joshua a strategy that will take advantage of the defeat that Israel had suffered and the victory that Ai had won. Jerry Vines, an author in a book entitled Interviews with Jesus, says this, A defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you proud. I think that might be what happened at Jericho. And that's exactly what we see going on with the people of Ai now. So, uh, and as, as Dean read this morning, God begins to, he doesn't really, you don't see it in the first few verses, but as you go through this chapter, we see the, the plan that Joshua uh, received from God begin to unfold. Here's, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I need you to do. 
And God's plan is to use deception. Set an ambush behind the city. In football, you would call it trickeration. Have you ever heard that term? Oh, they're using trick. That was a trickeration play. Any Oklahoma fans in here? University of Oklahoma? I had to throw this in. Remember the 2007 Fiesta Bowl between Boise State University and Oklahoma? Do you remember the play that Boise State used to win the game? It was trickeration. Jared Zabransky, the quarterback, faded back, looked one direction. His running back came around and he flipped it back. He faked a pass. Everybody went that way. Johnson runs into the corner of the end zone. In overtime, extra point. Boise State wins by one point. The teeny tiny come up or beat the football juggernaut. 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 I don't know. Victory was theirs. Trickeration. Deception. By the way, just a little bragging right for a moment. The quarterback of Boise State at that point was a graduate of Hermiston High School where we were pastoring at that time. So our kids knew him. That's our claim to fame. Well, imagine the elation of the people of Ai. Their fear turned to arrogance. They had defeated the people whom Egypt could not contain and against whom the Amalekites could not stand. We did this. They had humiliated the people who had crushed Jericho. They put them on the run. Can you see them high-fiving each other? Man, we're good. Guess we showed them. That'll teach them to mess with us. Right? Now, I don't know what it sounded like in their language, but hey. And of course, from the perspective of Israel, none of this should have happened. The wrong side prevailed. The bad guys won. And so God gives them a plan now. It's that trickeration plan. So I want you to put part of the army out front here and the other guys to the side, and they're going to hide and ambush. And when the AI comes out... You're going to act like, oh, no, not again. And you're going to take off running. They're going to chase you. And what's going to happen is the king's going to be so excited about another win for AI. He's going to call every man in the city out. And he does. Everybody after the Israelites. And the city's empty. And the sneaky guys that are in ambush run in and set the city on fire. And when the, guy, the soldiers of AI look back, it's like, oh, no, the city's on fire. But now they're... They're surrounded. The guys that took the city behind them and the rest of the armies in front of them and they just surround them and end of game. So obviously, this time, Joshua and Israel were listening pretty closely, pretty carefully, don't you think? They got it all right. and Boy, did it work out. So their defeat led to victory. AI's victory led to defeat. So how do we listen carefully? How do we listen carefully? You know, um, 
It seems that God was speaking to Joshua in a way that he could very clearly hear. The Lord said to Joshua, was he saying Joshua? I don't know. It really doesn't tell us if Joshua was hearing an audible voice. Remember, you know, uh, before they took Jericho, this commander of the army, the Lord stood right there before him with a sword in hand. So that was pretty clear one-on-one communication. We really don't know what's going on here and why Joshua, how Joshua is hearing this. I mean, I, I've never heard God's audible voice. I, there's times when I think it'd be nice. You know, we've all been in those decision-making situations where, you know, God, couldn't you just tell me? Shout from the sky or write it up there or something. And I, I would guess that probably few or none of us who've actually heard the audible voice of God. But sometimes we get some pretty clear impressions. I think that was illustrated pretty well on Wednesday night when Joel Vanderkoy said, You know, I was going to go in a certain direction and I was reading this scripture and God told me, I want you to follow up on the things about the tabernacle. Now, Joel wasn't saying God said, Joel, go to the portion of the Old Testament that talks about the tabernacle and read about that and, you know, tell them at Longmont. on Wednesday. I don't think God did that. But he had this, you know what I say? We have this clear impression in our minds and hearts. This is God speaking to me. Maybe that's what was going on with Joshua here. I don't know. So how do we listen carefully? How do we hear God when he shares his strategy for battle with us or his direction for anything else in our lives that we have to make decisions about. Well, there's four things. Four things. First of all, we turn to Scripture. See, God speaks to us most consistently and usually most loudly through his word. All right? So we turn to Scripture. When we're at one of those places in our lives as a church body or as individuals, we turn to Scripture and we begin to search the Scriptures and say, God, speak to me through your word. He wants to do that. That's why he put it there. The second thing we can do is pray. Prayer is designed to adjust us to God, not God to us. Now, I know a lot of our prayers seem to be Crafted to make God adjust to us. Here, God, this is what you need to do. Here's what I really like you to do. Here's God, if you could just please. All right? But really, and I, and so often I think in our minds, because we don't hear that clear, audible voice of God, we kind of see prayer as this one way communication when it's really intended to be two, two ways. It's conversation with God. And so we pray, and the, and the, The idea there is that we will adjust our lives to God, not God adjusting himself to us. We want to find out what God wants us to do and what changes, adjustments we need to do to fit in with God's plan and purpose. The third thing, circumstances, like our work, our relationships, are we experiencing a crisis? Are we going through a change? Ask God for His perspective on your circumstance. A lot of times when we come up to these places in our lives where especially when there's a major decision to make, there's something going on in our life. We're beginning to see things happen in our lives and we need God's interpretation of those circumstances so we understand that He may be moving us in a direction that He wants us to go in. 
You know, maybe, maybe a job is ending. Maybe you've stepped down from a ministry position and God wants to lead you in a new direction. Maybe there's, maybe you, you develop some relationships in the church or in the community and, and God is moving you in that direction. It's kind of like this thing that I know Jan and Bill did with, I think it was the police department said a while back. We need, a, we need people who can help folks in, that are dealing with certain issues in their lives and we can do that. The fourth thing is the church. God speaks to us through the body of Christ. We, we need to seek the counsel of trusted, mature believers. And, and it's not just the pastor. The pastor's glad to help with that. But listen, we need to be able to go to each other. Listen to these scriptures from Proverbs. Without guidance, a people will fall, but there is victory with many counselors. That's 11.14, Proverbs 11.14. Proverbs 15.22, plans fail with no counsel, but with many counselors they succeed. Proverbs 24.6, you should make war with guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. So there is that sense in the body of Christ where we can speak into each other's lives. And what's good about that is... You have a perspective that I don't have because a lot of times this is how I see things. All right? And so, again, I'm talking about mature, trusted believers, people whose hearts are in tune with God. You don't just want to go to anybody. You want somebody who's genuinely interested in, in knowing that you are obedient to the will of God. Okay? So... How do we listen carefully? We go to the scripture, we pray, we ask God's perspective on the circumstances that are happening in our lives at that period, and we, and we go to, we seek the counsel of trusted, mature believers. And hopefully through those means, as we do that, we will hear the voice of God giving us direction, just as he did for Joshua in their second foray against AI. So two things we need to do to bounce back from defeat. The third thing is this. Align ourselves with God's strategy. Align ourselves with God's strategy. It's one thing to hear from God. It's another thing to obediently align with His strategy because doing so often requires change or adjustment on our part. Adjustment, okay, change is kind of the dirty C word. We don't always like the sound of that. It's one thing to hear from God. It's another to obediently align with his strategy because doing so often requires change or adjustment on our part. Noah could not continue life as usual and build an ark at the same time. Adjustment, some major ones. Abram could not stay in Ur or Haran and father a nation in Canaan. Moses could not stay on the backside of the desert herding sheep and deliver the people from Egypt. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to leave their fishing business in order to follow Jesus. Matthew had to leave his tax collector's booth 
to follow Jesus. So what kind of adjustments did Israel have to make? Well, first of all, Ai was taken in a completely different way from the way Jericho was taken. To march around the walls of Ai might, Ai might have been disastrous. See, the, the, the men of Ai had the confidence of victory behind them already. Had the Israelites done at Ai what they did at Jericho, or even what they did in their first attack at Ai, they could have suffered defeat once again. But Ai was different. It was a different place, a different attitude, and God had a plan, a different plan that would work than that which worked to conquer Jericho. We have to do things a little differently this time around. And there's something I think noticeably uh, missing when, when we read the accounts at Jericho and Ai, and it's this. The weapons of war are never mentioned because they're the same. The weapons never changed. What changed was the method. It was the method of doing war against these two different cities that changed. That was the adjustment that Israel had to make in obedience to God. We have to change our methods. You know, I think back to the Revolutionary War. And... Um, up till then, you know, what you did with soldiers is you got these big long lines and ranks and you marched everybody forward so far apart and you shot at each other. I'm glad that there was somebody that said, you know, that's really not that smart. <laughs> and so we had, um, we had these wild and rowdy and uncouth Americans that developed this kind of guerrilla warfare thing. We hid behind rocks and walls and trees and shot at them. It was considered, considered uh, you know, unruly and ungentlemanly, but it was a lot better for your health than standing there in the open. And, <laughs> all right? So the method changed. God said you need to use a different method against AI than you used against Jericho in your first attempt against AI. And you know what? Throughout the Word, God uses different methods to defeat the enemy and claim his territory. David used a sling and a stone. Gideon used a ridiculously small army with pitchers, trumpets, and torches. In the New Testament, God used a crazy man to missionize the Decapolis, or he used to be a crazy man until after he met Jesus. Once the demons were kicked out of him, he became a missionary. God used a Christian-killing Pharisee to spread the gospel throughout the Roman world. When he started, his name was Paul, Saul. When he finished, his name was Paul. God was using Israel to conquer the strongholds of the enemy, defeat evil, and take the land for himself in righteousness. And God still uses his people, the church, to conquer strongholds, defeat evil, and reclaim territory that the enemy has taken. We are to possess the land. And God works differently in every community, in every church, in every life, and in every time. He has given us territory to conquer. He has a plan for how we are to do that. And by the way, I know, and I go to some of these, there it's helpful, 
But you go to, you know, uh, you might hear about the big successful church in some city that they did this and this and this and boom. Now we're, we started out with 43 people and now we've got 4,300. And it's nice to go to those, but listen, you've got to glean some things and leave the rest. Because it, what we're, you can, there is not one template that you can lay over every church out there and say, this will grow you if you just do it this way. And we have to listen to God, don't we? We have to listen carefully to God to determine what His plan and strategy are for the Longmont Church of the Nazarene in Boulder County. Because we've been called to possess the land. So God, God has given us ter- territory to conquer. He has a plan for how we're to do that. The weapons we use are the same as we've always used. The power of prayer, the truth of the word, the unity of the body, the joy and inspiration of worship, and the word of our testimony. Nothing's changed. We still use all those weapons, but the method of using them is different. From church to church, city to city, generation to generation, and sometimes even from year to year because our world is changing so rapidly. So, here's a question I want to leave you with today. What adjustments are we, remember this corporate What adjustments are we willing to make in our thinking, our commitments, our actions, and our methods so that we can follow God's strategy for taking the territory He has already delivered into our hands? It's ours to take if we'll do it the way God says we do it. So we need to to realize, because sometimes I think we look at where we are today and it's like, well, we've suffered a defeat. But how do we bounce back from that? Realize that God has not forsaken us. Listen carefully for what God wants us to do next. Align ourselves with God's strategy and the adjustments and changes we need to make in order to do that. All right? The weapons are the same. The methods will probably have to be different. And all the people said... Right on, preacher. That's. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I, I have to say, sometimes I'm amazed at how a story of, about this place called AI and What happened to Israel the first time they tried to take it? And what happened the second time they tried to take it because they did take it because they listened to you and you gave them a strategy that worked? How that applies to us right here, right now, today. Even though we have never seen AI, or probably don't even have that great an idea where it is. And yet, Father, what you did in that place in that time Lord, has great lessons for what you want to do in this place, in this time. And Father, I believe you have every one of us here for such a time as this. And we can look around and say, well, you know, our church has been bigger in the past, and we had young people and children, etc., 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 and 
for some reason we've suffered a defeat and oh no, what do we do now? Well, remind us first of all, you've not forsaken us. Second of all, we need to listen carefully for what you want us to do next. And third, we need to align ourselves with your strategy and the adjustments and changes that will require of us. May we be committed, Father, to your will for us and to do what you call us to. We still have the weapons in our hands, the weapons of war. We do. But how we use those may be different than we've ever done before, and that's okay if you show us the way and we listen and do it. So, Father, I pray that we were challenged today. I pray that we will be obedient as you speak to our hearts individually and corporately. And we are looking for victory over AI in the days ahead. And, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.